Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Shaver, joined by Michael Brunts, Brian Christofferson here on Thursday morning. Gentlemen, a quiet week. What have you done with all of this extra time that you have since Nebraska is not just churning out news nuggets every seven minutes? I've been I've been digging for some nugs. Digging for some nugs. Yeah. The the spicy kind? No. Saucy kind? Just some some non non social media nugs. Okay. Who has the best nuggets around? Are you what ready to I said who has the best nuggets around? Like who who if you were to get some nuggets for lunch, where would you go? I mean, I set off a small fire in the transfer thread by talking about how much I like McDonald's and relative to the news of uh, Tennessee. I think McDonald's has good nuggets. That's uh, sticking with the old, the oldie, the oldie. Yeah, the I mean, they're, it's just, they're good. I, I think, you know, people like the Wendy's ones or they like the BK chicken fries or whatever. And I'll just, I'll stick with the, the McDonald's nuggets. I like that. I, I, I could, I would lean towards Wendy's. That's probably where I would go. Yeah, I'd probably say the same with the spicy. But I, I do like Schaefer uh, standing by uh, an old uh, staple. Have you done the Have you done the grilled chicken nuggets from Chick Fil A? Yeah, sometimes. Um, yeah, they're not bad. Um, sometimes accidentally. Sometimes there's a little confusion when I order if I want those or the other kind between me and the, the youngster helping me out. So I've I've I got them. <laughs> I, I mean, no ill will toward the person because I got him by accident once and I was like, not bad. I was it was one of those kind of mistakes that you were you felt like fell in your lap and you were happy about after it happened. All right. Well, I'll have to try some grilled chicken nuggets sometime. Speaking of which, BC, have you uh, you you've <laughs> gone through a bit of a chef phase early in the pandemic? Are you still cooking up a storm? No, <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I I haven't been cooking in like a month. Man. kind of disappointing but is it like a prolonged break do you think like the the phase has passed or are you just what, what's going to happen here uh sort of like um you know husker football you grinded through it for a while and you just needed a break you know you needed to you needed to step away from it and and take like three or four weeks kind of center yourself again and maybe maybe i'll attack now but um also, my cooking skills have uh, been greatly overbuilt on this uh, podcast. I only have like five or six things that I can actually make. There seems to be this theme where you you feel like things have been exaggerated as it relates to you, the the athletic prowess of your time. <laughs> I always worry a little bit about the Skip Bayless effect. Someone's going to like look it up and be like, no, you actually, this guy, he, he only averaged two minutes in junior high, um, you know, per game. That's, that's it. So, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to ever overbill it. the The goal in soccer did actually happen. The goal in the district final that was kind of fluky. That that was an actual occurrence, and I think there's people who have validated that. Um, and so that's a true story. But uh, all the others, a lot of other stuff, we tend to have fun with, including my relationship and thoughts on Jack Stoll, who I think is a fine human being. You were probably thrilled whenever he declared for the draft, weren't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't even know where that started, where you guys gave me guff that I was a, on, down on Jack's soul, but you guys ca- have carried it through like a, a George Carlin bit. Yeah, like once we get our teeth in something, it's just, you know, you're, it's unfortunate. But 
All right, let's let's dive into this. Nebraska has new players joining the roster this week. Uh, they're going to be starting winter conditioning here, and there's going to be 11 fresh new faces, freshmen that signed for them in December, joining this program. Brunts, I know BC can do it. Can you name all 11 without looking them up inside a minute? Inside a minute? Yeah. Let's see. Um, Gay Bergen, Harburg. Two. Uh, Jaeger. Three. Prohaska. Four. Lutovsky. Five. I'm, sw- I'm switching over to defense in my head here. Kapai. Yep. Um, this is terrible. Um, You're not going to beat Brian. Defensive back. Yeah, I know. Prep uh, school. What's that? Prep school. Oh, uh, Buford. Okay. And how many is that? You're, as far as I can tell, you're missing uh, two players from the state of Iowa. Eight man. Eight man. <clears throat> oh, Malcolm and yep. uh, Fedoni. Yeah, and you missed James Carney. You came up just short. Is, Bu- uh, is Buckley here early, too? Did he say Buckley? Buckley? You missed Buckley. I forgot about that. Yeah. He jumped straight to linebacker. Yeah, that's, that's not good. That was pretty good. I mean. It's, it's better it's, than 95% of how people would do it. It shows you've actually got other thoughts bouncing around in your head, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> it's not true, but um, sure. You're not just walking around being like Gabe Urban, Gabe Urban, Gabe Urban. <laughs> like, all right. Well, now that we've we have successfully remembered who it is, it's early and rolling. I, I was talking to Brian about this on the recruiting hour yesterday, Brunt. So I'll start with you. Is there a guy beyond Thomas Fedoni that you think has a chance to play? right away in 2021 with a good spring and health uh, next fall? Uh, there's not a lot of guys in this class, actually, that that I would say are, like, on the cusp. I mean, you can pretty much take out the linemen. Yep. I don't think that Randolph Kapai is going to be in that mix, given what his current stature is. Um, I mean, it, it's probably Gabe Irvin, Gabe Irvin, Gabe Irvin, Gabe Irvin, right? Like that, that would be one potential guy that would get get in the mix right away. Yep. I, beyond that, I mean, I, I don't. I mean, maybe James Carney. Like the 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 problem I kind of get into with the tight end is, I mean, obviously you got Vokalek, you've got Austin Allen that, that are going to be big pieces there. I mean, there's there's probably room for two more, but the the issue i think is is you basically would use james carney in a very similar way to how you would use thomas fedoni so i mean maybe they both get in the mix but i guess i would kind of lean fedoni a little bit right now uh to to, to have a big impact so it, it's i don't know it, it it feels like in a lot of ways this class is you don't want to call it a developmental class but it just with the way that the positions broke down and then the way that nebraska's current depth is on the roster there's just not a lot of kind of open roads to playing time am i wrong i don't think you're wrong at all i, I think that it's a good thing that we're not talking about these guys having to make 
an early impact. I, I think that this is, it's sort of a tricky question because Gabe Irvin is probably the one that makes the most sense. And then Marcus Buford. And then after that, it's, it's really just kind of throwing a dart and maybe the guy plays special teams. But um, the, the thing about Thomas Fedoni that I, I'm kind of curious and you guys can let me know what level of hot take this is. What if he's not a tight end this first year? Like if they just use him more like a slot wide receiver and we never really see him in line, that would allow him to get on the field quicker because he has less than physically to worry about in terms of having to move people. And I also think it sort of alleviates some of the burden of replacing Wandale Robinson. So I've gotten on this like sort of self-created train that one or that uh, Thomas Fedoni is going to be more of a slot receiver style for Nebraska than a tight end right away in 2021. I don't think it's a silly thought. Um, I mean, a guy like that, if basically as it was sort of with the wide receivers, they found little things that they felt they could do and they let them do that during the season last year, but they obviously couldn't have the whole buffet yet. And I mean, that's sort of what you're talking about with, with Fedone here. If, if, if there's a few skills that he's ready for right now, more than others, um, I think it's, you know, it's very advantageous to get him out there um, and let him learn behind the scenes and the other stuff you're talking about. So that, I don't know, that makes sense to me. I do know what James Carney um, he had surgery to repair yep. his labrum at, in December, but he is going to be back. Uh, he thinks uh, catching footballs by March or April. So I don't know that that, that knocks him out of the equation, but that is something to keep in mind. What do you think, Browns? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I could see it. I see what you're talking about. I don't think you're off your rocker by any means there, but I mean, it's, I think in order to, to maximize Thomas Fedoni as a freshman, I, I think you are going to have to do more of, of what you're talking about, like flex him out, use him as a, a mismatch. I mean, maybe you, you have him as a, a second tight end or, or something like that, um, you know, in line and in some situations. Like, I, I just think, uh, you know, they are going to have to get more creative with them because the, the way that Nebraska kind of utilized their tight ends the last couple of years, I don't know that it necessarily fits where he is right now in his career. I mean, may, maybe that's that changes down the road a little bit, but, you know, I, I'm almost kind of thinking too, you know, Iowa seems to have gotten some good use of their young tight ends in the, in the last couple of years. The Laporta kid is the one that stands out to me. Like I, I could see Nebraska using Fedoni a little bit more similar to that, where he is kind of a, a bit more of a bigger wide receiver. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, I do think though that, you know, you, you want to get him involved. You want to do it early. And I, I think Nebraska is, is going to benefit from him being on campus early because I think they're going to get a really good look in the spring at how, they could potentially use him and kind of have the summer, I guess, to, to maybe brainstorm and, and dream some stuff up there. What do you think it's like for guys like him in this day and age who have been so touted as recruits when they come in? And obviously current players have seen, they've seen all the headlines or they've heard the noise about a, a young guy. Do you think they, they get tested more a little bit by some of their peers right away? To, Let's see what you got. You really got the stuff. I, I always wonder that. 
I think that's sort of what Fedoni was expecting. I, I, in the, the conversation I had with him back in December, he basically said that the thing he wanted to do the most when he got to campus is prove that he belonged. Like he was expecting mm-hmm. there was going to be doubt amongst people that were already on Nebraska's roster. Like, okay, this kid that, you know, has never played college football is going to come here and immediately be a contributor on our offense. Like, let's see it. Can he actually run? Can he catch? Can he do these things? Because hearing about it and believing it aren't the same as someone showing it to you. And I, I think that was a big part of, of kind of his, his sort of system. He's a very confident kid. He believes he's going to do what he's going to go do. And so I think he wants to prove very early on and leave little doubt that he's a, going to be a key member of this team, even if he's not the oldest guy in the room. And so I, I think that was a, a big part of it. And I think that he also wanted to prove to himself, like, Hey, I belong, I can play at this level. And mm-hmm. so I, I do think, you know, Brian's sort of point there that uh, wondering about how the guys on the campus feel about it. I, I think that the people that are going to be arriving are already on campus now uh, as early enrollees have gathered that sense. Like you, you don't really get to ease into it. You kind of have yeah. to show up and show out right away. Yeah. And guys, probably within a few weeks of winter conditioning, to be honest, all the veteran guys can tell somebody is really like, okay, this guy's a worker. Maybe he doesn't know everything yet, but you can tell he's, he's going to bust his tail every day. Um, and that's, that's one of the advantages of enrolling early. And Zach Duvall, I remember he hasn't done a lot of interviews, but he talked about that going through that together with your veteran teammates gives you sort of a, a street cred. You know what I mean? As you get into like the summer and the fall camp, because you, you did all those extra sprints and all that stuff and we're maybe puking in a trash can one day or something. And I mean, all that stuff actually matters in, in building up uh, kind of the, a, a community feel for the younger guys. So uh, that's one of the big reasons to come early. I think, I think you hit on the names that could contribute early. It's pretty limited list. It's Irvin, maybe a tight end. And I threw in yesterday on Schaefer's on the radio show, um, Marquise Buford just as a, a wild card, but it, it's, it's harder for Buford now because, you know, you, you got Cam Taylor Britt back and you got two safeties back. Uh, so there's not as many openings right away, but he's a mature guy who I could see. I, it wouldn't shock me if like his name popped up early in the conversation. Yeah. And, and a guy that I think could help on special teams. And we've seen Travis Fisher is willing to play young guys or get them in a little bit if he thinks that they can help. And so I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if that, works itself out Brunt, i asked bc this as well and and we'll get his answer too here in a little bit but is there someone on that list of of 11 that you're you're sort of just curious about like you you don't know you're not expecting immediate results or immediate return but maybe in two years down the line you're you're kind of curious to see where things are for them or where they're lining up on the field that sort of thing yeah well i think to me I'll go as a group. I mean, I, I'm intrigued by the the offensive line group. Um, obviously, you know, based on what we talked about on Tuesday, I mean, it's it's not a group of guys that, you know, maybe outside of Lutovsky that you're expecting to have to come in and help you out either right away or, you know, even within the first couple of years. Um, you know, a guy like Branson Yeager who – is just a massive human being, but knows that he has to, to kind of get up to speed and, and, you know, get stronger and all that other stuff. I mean, I'll be curious to see where those three guys are 
um, you know, going into like a redshirt sophomore season because it seems like they're developmental guys. They have great frames that, you know, Nebraska can put the right weight on and kind of with the, the way the depth chart is now, I mean, you've got, you've got Corcoran pretty much locked in at left tackle. You've got Ben Hart out at right tackle. Well, by the time, you know, these guys are redshirt sophomores, you're going to be needing the, these younger guys to be ready or, or kind of pushing at least uh, on the depth chart. So I'm intrigued by them. We're not going to see them for a while, but I, I think at, you know, getting those guys in early and, and kind of getting that process started, I think is really important. Yeah. I, I find myself really kind of curious about Seth Malcolm. Like I, I, there's not a lot of situations I can remember where an eight man football player came to Nebraska and then was able to, to make a, a quick impact. And so I'm curious what the adjustment timeline is going to be for him uh, because I, I did have the opportunity to go see him play and, and it took a little bit in the game. And then he sort of took over on defense and was the biggest, best athlete on the field. That's going to definitely change for him. And so a guy like that, he's sort of blessed because it seems like he's going to be an inside linebacker. That room right now, you have enough people in front of you that the expectation isn't going to be immediate, but I am kind of curious because I think, those are the sort of things that Nebraska has to be able to, they've evaluated, they, they like Seth Malcolm immediately. They need to turn that into a win for them. They need to turn that into depth down the line into this is a, you know, a potential starting inside linebacker for them. And of course you're going to try to recruit over them at some point too. But I, I do think that, you know, for this staff, they, they, they have to hit on some of these guys because I think they do a good job evaluating in the Midwest, but you, you need to have some success there too. And so he comes to mind. Randolph Kapai is fascinating because what position he might end up playing. Uh, he, he could be a safety, he could be an outside linebacker, he could be an inside linebacker. And so uh, I'm curious, you know, with those guys. And then from there, I, I think James Carney is also sort of fascinating. I think to all three of us, we all had a chance to see him play. We've all been sort of impressed by the way that he took matters into his own hands to go from uh, a guy that was, you know, lightly regarded to a guy that was heavily regarded by at least three schools in his own area at tight end. And, and certainly ended up uh, and made it happen by, by getting the, the dream offer with Nebraska. And I know that it, it's just sort of an interesting situation because you have Thomas Fedoni, who's the big name in the class and plays the same position. James Carney is a very good athlete and, I, I think that he, you know, I don't know if he would have done the same things that Fedoni was doing at Lewis Central, but I, I do think that for Norris, he was a very good player at the Class B level. And I, I'm curious in a couple of years what we're seeing and talking about with him in that tight end room, which is is really sort of undergoing a revolution, I think. We're seeing more guys of, of what they were using at UCF at tight end and, and certainly sort of the phasing out of, of the end of, of kind of the bigger classic tight end from the Mike Riley era. If you were to pick one of the O linemen to like put your stock in and not that more than one can't succeed because they can, but if you were to say one, I, I, you asked, you didn't ask this specifically yesterday, but I said Henry Latofsky would be mine. Would that be yours or, or would you go a different direction? I, I think Henry Latofsky is the best lineman in the class. And so I would join you on that one. That's I, I, I like his attitude. I think that he maybe has the quickest path to playing time. And I think he's probably the most technically refined of the three, though all of them have, you know, work to go in that department for sure. I was, you were earlier talking about uh, 
eight men, eight, eight man football in, in that transition. I know it wasn't a direct one, but I mean, Luke Reimer was a eight man guy for a couple of years. Yeah. And then he, he was at what North star for, was it two years? Yeah. So he played his freshman, sophomore down in Kansas and eight man. And then, yeah. And so it's not, it's not quite the same, but certainly they, they found that, that transition point. I, I think Reimer and Malcolm are different physically though. I mean, that's, that's going to be the thing for Malcolm is the speed of college football is going to be unlike anything he saw in eight man over in Iowa. I will say though, for those guys, like, and this was true when you had kind of eight man stuff, guys come out, uh, you know, in the nineties and stuff, those guys can all run like, and I think too, that the instinct part of it is different. I, I haven't seen Malcolm play, so I'm, I'm kind of, you know, talking out of, out of turn, out of turn here, but it always seemed to me that those guys were a little bit more instinctive because they kind of had to be playing eight man. Yeah, I, I think he did a nice job when I went and watched him play. Like by the second quarter, he was basically calling out what the other team was going to do before it happened. And so I, I do think that he's got the mental side of it going for him for sure. He's just one of those people that we don't talk a ton about in the class, but is, is the sort of guy that the staff, like if they hit on, it tells you it's going in the right direction. All right, should we should we take a break from early and rolly talk and, and dive into what Scott Frost had to say in his most recent media appearance on Wednesday night? Yes, let's yeah. do it. Yes. Right. First, first, we'll get a break in, then we'll come back. We'll get into a little spring football conversation, and uh, we'll see what else we have cooked up for you here with the Husker 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. So Scott Frost basically told us the spring game is going to be on May 1st. That's the latest I think the spring game has ever been. We go to our historian, Brian Christofferson. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's correct. All right. I'm going to count, <laughs> I'm going to count it as a win. Uh, what, what do you guys make of that? I mean, it, it clearly means that the spring will start later, but uh, at least for me and, and quickly here, it's probably as much to do with getting recruits on campus as it is just spacing things out for Nebraska as well. I think that's part of it for sure. I mean, not knowing what's going to happen after April 15th, you know, the, the other just scheduling piece of it, they wanted a full winter conditioning. And I guess with the current rules at UNL with people having to quarantine and, and test out and all that other stuff before they're back, 
Um, they're they're going to get started with winter conditioning on Monday. So they're, you know, basically going to be about two weeks behind what they normally would uh, in a usual year. So the, it kind of lines up that way that, you know, they, they wanted to get the full, full shebang in with winter conditioning. But I, I mean, the recruiting aspect is a, a part of it, I think too. And, and plus, you know, the, the big 10, I don't believe is going to have much say over, you know, whether there's fans in the stadium for, for the spring game. So that, that'll be more of a Nebraska decision. So maybe you can kind of, you know, get a little bit of atmosphere there too, but definitely a, a little bit of an adjustment though, with uh, the, the, the event pushed back a couple weeks. Yeah. Um, because the, the dead period, it runs through April 15th at this point, right? Is that the yeah. latest? So day. yeah. Um, so that makes sense. I mean, uh, hopefully, hopefully at that point you can get some visitors and it's going to be elbows out to get guys on campus. It always is. But I mean, right now, like guys have, are backloaded, you know, with, uh, places they want to go and haven't been able to go. And, and so, uh, it's all going to happen in a crunched uh, time period here. And at least if Nebraska is allowed or does decide, Hey, we're going to at least have, 25,000 people in the stands or they, whatever they come up with, uh, that would be a potential selling point to a recruit. Like, Hey, you can make a visit where you can actually get a little bit of a taste of, uh, of what it's like with some people in the stand. So I, 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 I see that point of it, uh, being taking a swing at that is a good idea. Well, and Nebraska's recruiting is in a weird spot. I talked to three different 2022 kids last night and they all expressed a ton of interest in Nebraska and they're all in, in sort of a unique, um, position where Nebraska has been very consistent in the recruitment of them. And in normal times, all three of them would be on campus or already have been on campus multiple times over because of where they are in relation to Lincoln. And yet none of them have been here. And, and they've all expressed that it's, it's hard for them to envision picking a school if they've never set foot on that campus. And with unlike sort of the 2020s where it just, it kind of felt like it was never going to happen and it proved to never happen. These kids kind of have the, or I should say the 2021s, these kids sort of have that, that April 15th date where they've kind of built in their mind and they're going to start scheduling these visits and, and everything else to come off of that. And then you also have now the official visits in April that, that start up. And I think it's going to be a really uh, unique recruiting calendar. Like, May, which is normally pretty slow, could be ferocious in terms of having visitors on campus and events going on during the weekends. June, which is normally pretty busy, is going to follow up in terms with the camps of that sort of thing. And then July, I, I just think you're going to see this mass rush to, to get in as many visits as you can. And, and a lot of these kids also express the interest they want to be done by the time their senior season starts. So it, it condenses that timeline where – you try to gather all the info and then as soon as you can get to other places and actually see the coaches and go through the tour and all of that, because they could drive there now if they wanted, but it doesn't have the same effect. It, it would lend to me that I think April and May are just going to be enormous recruiting months and you have to have your ducks in a row. Do you foresee a possibility that in, you know, after that May 15th date, that players are allowed to make visits, but coaches are not allowed to go out and evaluate. 
or is it or is it one that's all one piece that's really interesting i guess i hadn't considered that i would imagine the ncaa would leave it up to individual institutions at that point um as far as whether they want their coaches to go off road or not i i do think that if you're going to have people come to your campus i don't know if there's any reason not to allow the coaches to then also make visits on their own like i i I would sort of not understand if it was split in half, I guess is what I'm saying. Do you, do you see, like, is there a rationale I'm missing on that? No, I, I get it. I, I was just thinking about that the other day. Cause it seems like, it seems like something's got to give, I guess, because, you know, you would expect that, you know, if you're able to make visits, then that probably opens up, camps for june i mean like there's just so many things over the next six months or so that have to get hashed out i think and there's so many unknowns but i mean i i I just wonder if you know with with nebraska looking at may 1st for a spring game i mean that that eats into a potential evaluation period if it's the way it's been in the past so that that's just something i was thinking about was you know if, if coaches are on the are kept at home again this spring, um, you know, you're going to be really far behind on evals, especially for programs like Nebraska, where you're not able to, to get in front of a lot of prospects anyways. Well, and I think Nebraska's just combated that by trying to do deep dives into to film and then basically just make the offer, build the relationship. Once the kid gets to campus is sort of when you're going to be able to determine if he's a, the size and everything else you need. It's weird because we we talked a lot about 2021s and and how difficult it was for them but like the the players that maybe had the most on the line right now and you think about some of the states where they didn't even get fall football is if you're a junior in California and you didn't play football at all in 2020 or 2021 you basically can only go off of your sophomore film like that that does make it really sort of difficult so i i, I think you're right i mean those evaluations are going to be huge. I think Nebraska will mitigate it somewhat by really relying on a little bit more close to home and then spot recruiting the further out they get. Hey, Bronze, did Frost say last night on his interview, which was on Sports Nightly, did he say uh, how many guys he met for the first time face-to-face yesterday? Yeah, he said he thought there were five, uh, yeah. four or five that he'd never even been in a room with before. That's amazing. Um, which is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I'm your head coach. Nice to meet you. Yeah, I mean, it's just such a – what a bizarre time. Yeah. So, it's – it'll be interesting to track um, a a couple of years from now with all of this. And, you know, Nebraska I don't think is particularly unique in that way where you've got a lot of guys who have, you know, committed – and, and enrolled at schools that they either hadn't visited in person or hadn't been around certain coaches or, or whatever, how many of those guys end up sticking or if you're going to see just a huge rush into the portal in like 18 months when, you know, some of these players are like, wait a second, this is not what I thought it was going to be. What were some of the other uh, bullet points that, that came out that stuck out to you from his like 15 minute talk? Yeah, we got uh, – well, he ad- at least addressed the 
special teams opening uh, with Jonathan Rutledge moving on. Uh, Nebraska's in the market for advertising right now. If you anybody wants to to brush up their resume um, for a special teams analyst right now, um, we'll see kind of how that shakes out. They he didn't indicate whether you know they're looking for a full time coach or, or that breakdown, but. Um, just kind of the standard need to get better on, on that side of the ball or in that phase of the game, which I think is pretty obvious. Um, talked a little bit about the bowl game and how it felt like it was not unanimous, obviously, but, you know, the, the, they wanted when they were deciding to go to the, whether or not to accept a bowl bid, they wanted there to be close to unanimous, wanted it to be unanimous decision. They didn't want people to kind of, you know, half-ass it basically going to a bowl game. So there were at least enough people that didn't want to play or, or were a little wishy-washy on it that they decided not to. Um, they're obviously excited about, you know, what they have coming back on defense with all the veterans there. He had basically everybody that was a senior um, was offered the the possibility to come back if they wanted to. Um so that was kind of interesting. They'd been meeting throughout the fall, even before the season started, kind of to see where guys were at. And they hit a little bit on uh, the new additions, Marquis Steps, Maury Trey, um, and, and uh, Kalarovich. So, you know, they're obviously very excited. It's interesting with the transfers. Basically, they were concerned about depth, needed an experienced guy each of those spots to kind of bridge the gap to, to some of the younger guys on the roster. So not a, not a surprise there, but – um, that, that was basically it. It was a, a breezy 15 minutes. It's hard for even the most, if you're the most negative right now about Husker football or a negative Nelly out there, which you would have fair reason to be about some things. It's, it is hard to pick at the transfers they got as the more I think about each guy, you know, and what they can do and the depth they add and actually their actual resume that preceded them before getting here. Uh, you feel really good about all three of them. I mean, just uh, coming in here and that they're already in town, you know, this week, that's uh, I know Chris Kolarovich, for instance, um, since Northern Iowa wasn't playing um, last fall, he was basically working out with those guys at UNI sort of like he was on the team. So he was sort of still getting in a way, a college like workout you know, throughout the fall, um, which I think could benefit him and help him hit the ground running here in January. But I, all, all those transfers, the more I think about it, I really think they, they rounded the bases pretty well on them. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, I agree. Like it's that Wandale Robinson news casts a long shadow, certainly, but I, I do, you know, see where you can be excited about what has transpired for the most part in January for Nebraska, but certainly a, a long way to go. And then, of course, January is very different than uh, September, October, November. All right, any closing thoughts for you guys as we depart this week? Did you guys have any random former Nebraska players that you wanted to give an update on? Oh. Or, or are we just doing that once a week? No, I could think of one. Well, yeah, do you are... have an update on them as well? Yeah. Oh, go. No, we're asking you. <laughs> so I'm going to give it to you, and you're going to give me back the answer just like that, like you're a computer? I think BC misunderstood. 
We'll debut this segment next week after we sort of figure out what we're doing. No, Brum should explain it to me really slow and I'll get it. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll be prepared next week after I'm given a full uh, spreadsheet and all the info on what I'm supposed to do. Sounds good. That's the closing statement there, Mike. (laughs) All right. Uh, As usual, we have nothing to add after a certain point. And so we're going to let you go, but... You should check out Husker 24-7. As I said, I, I talked to some 2022 recruits. I'll have updates on Jaron Canick, Jared Batty, and Gavin Myers here, as well as Devin Jackson, maybe some Devon Hall. So I've, I've got some, oh. some interviews to get off the recorder. That should be up over the weekend here as well. And I've kind of transitioned over to 2022. I, I don't think there's a whole lot left for 2021 to be focused on. So there'll be more 2022 recruiting content including kind of a position by position, look at it, what Nebraska has already offered and what they may be taking uh, in the 2022 class. So you can look forward to that over the weekend and next week. You guys have anything you want to plug that you have up on the site or going on? No, they, they, they can, they can pop on over to Husker 24 seven and they'll see it as it comes up. <laughs> Oh, how about that? Always a disaster. (laughs) No, I I think you you hit on it. There's going to be lots of uh, yeah. You had a recruiting talk. You had like eight stories right there. I mean, we'll we're just trying to we'll try to sneak one in, but you're you got more swag today than you did on Tuesday after your no cavity thing. (laughs) Yeah, well, look, no cavities are great. My teeth look fantastic still. Three days later, I, I feel very good about the work that I had done. All right, we will catch everybody next Tuesday with more Husker 24-7 podcast content to come. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!